the Buddha once said, with wise effort and earnestness, make for yourself an island that no flood can overwhelm. And of course, what the Buddha meant by this is an inner island. I'm sure some of you at various points throughout the day today might feel that getting a little dirt together in the middle of the ocean and making an island that way would be a whole lot easier than what you've tried to do throughout the day today. What is being spoken about in terms of conditions means this, this sense of no flood being able to overwhelm is finding a place of refuge within. Now, this island means refuge. Finding a refuge within that is untouched, unaffected by conditions, by outer and inner conditions. And another way of saying this is that we are learning how to find ourselves at home with ourselves wherever we are. Some years ago, I went to a funeral of a friend's mother, and it was in a church that was evangelical Christian. And um, what it was called, some of you may be familiar with this, what it was called, and I was quite taken by it, was a going home service for this person. And I, I thought that was great, you know, just such a, a wonderful way of looking at death, going home service. And I also thought, can we go home now you know, without having to die? Is it possible to find a way to go home right now? And this is what is being spoken about. This is what is being encouraged by the Buddha, is to find an inner home, to find an inner refuge that is stable and steady, that arena that is at ease. How is this refuge or home realized? Through the awareness of our life, through bringing mindfulness to whatever it is that is occurring from moment to moment seeing into conditions and seeing beyond conditions. What mindfulness means is, definition, not clinging to whatever it is that's occurring, grasping, trying to hold on to, trying to make last, not trying to get rid of, push away, react to with aversion, and not identifying with what is happening inwardly as being who we are, or as being, sometimes we get more grandiose and we think it's how the world is because of what we feel like inwardly. So mindfulness also means not identifying with what is occurring. What happens when we're able to be mindful is that even though it doesn't always feel like it, what is happening is that it begins a process of dissolving the unconscious patterns within the mind, the unconscious ways that we suffer. So it's not a path, as everyone already knows, of instant gratification. Far from it. And at the same time, we can have the confidence that this is what is happening each time we're able to be aware and awake and mindful. Each time we're chipping away at 
an unconscious habit or pattern within the mind that has kept us stuck for an awfully long time. However, it takes effort to be mindful, usually quite a lot of effort to be mindful. I'll read you something that Milarepa, a great yogi from the past, wrote. This was, um, this was after this very long retreat that he was on. This is seven days, and this retreat was over 11 months. Not stopping at mere intellectual knowledge of the gradual processes of profound path teachings, I practiced without regard for fatigue or strain until the signs and marks of progress appeared. In one place during a practice retreat, I meditated strenuously for eight, 11 months, never allowing my cushion to lose its warmth. And I would also comment by saying he was in a really cold area in the world. So here, it's not really such a big deal. Maybe we leave for 45 minutes to walk and our cushion still holds some warmth. But in a cold place, of course, the cushion would lose it immediately. So he would have had to be sitting quite a lot. So obviously, effort is really an essential aspect of the path. We can't get around it. We can't pretend we don't need it. We can't dream about the practice and think anything's going to happen. We can't fantasize. I mean, we can, but nothing is going to happen if we do. Obviously, effort is really necessary. It is something that we have to work with, and it really is an art. It's not a science. It's not a formula. It really is an art. And this is what I'd like to talk about tonight, is the art of effort. The question is, one of the questions is, what is wise effort? Now, I started this out by saying, with wise effort and earnestness. Notice that the Buddha didn't just say, with effort and earnestness, but with wise effort and earnestness. So what is wise effort? In other words, what is effort in the context of meditation? The reason why this is important is because effort in the context of meditation is actually totally different than our usual definitions of effort. And that's why it's so confusing. That's why we find ourselves sometimes struggling and not knowing what to do. Okay, I'll try. You know, I'll try as hard as I can. And we find ourselves completely coiled up and tense and caught and engaged in a struggle. So a way to move out of this struggle is to understand more deeply what wise effort actually is in the context of what we're engaged in, which is the world of meditation. Meditative effort is not the effort to attain or maintain a particular state of mind. The reason why it isn't although we might like to when, once in a while, a wonderful state of mind comes along. We might want to grasp onto it and try to make it last. And we might want to think, maybe it makes us feel productive, to think that if we could only attain this particular state of mind or that particular state of mind, then everything will be over, everything will be easy. But the problem is then when our effort is directed towards trying to attain anything in particular, a particular state of mind, 
or a particular feeling or a particular emotion. It's a problem because it's our imagination and it has everything to do with something happening in the future rather than what really works, which is mindfulness in the present moment, yeah? which is being here, not in the future, not lost in our thoughts about what could happen, may happen, will happen, should happen, you know, at some future date. Every time we do that, we've lost our wise effort. So being aware of that tendency to um, aim towards a particular state of mind. Meditative effort is also not the effort to change what is happening within, to change the contents of consciousness. The contents of consciousness do change, absolutely do change, but our efforts to change what is happening within involve non-acceptance. And so instead of actually actively taking up what's happening, we're resisting, we're trying to push away. And pushing away brings us into a struggle once again, brings us into turmoil, brings us into tension. Also, in our efforts to change the contents of consciousness, thinking that we should be having different thoughts than we're having, we should be having different feelings than we're having, we should be having the thoughts that we know the person next to us is having, even if they're worse than ours, at least they're not ours. You know? Thinking, if this were gone, then I could really meditate. You know, if only I had different thoughts happening right here, or if only I felt a different way, or if only this, or if only that, if only the conditions were different, then I could really begin to meditate. If only my breath would cooperate. You know, if only my mind would cooperate, then I could begin to meditate. And meditation is being present. The effort is to be present with things as they are. Meditative effort is also not the effort to try to fix or to work on oneself. So often we treat ourselves as objects that need to be fixed. And we relate to ourselves not as precious beings, you know, not as, as radiant hearts or having inherent Buddha nature, but as these objects that absolutely need to be fixed. So we're here to try to do some manual labor on ourselves. Every time we do this, our effort again is unwise, is coiled up. We're caught in struggle. We're caught in tension. Our efforts to try to become someone, even if that someone is a better meditator, is really a problem. Also, our efforts to try to become someone else, to imitate someone that we've heard about or admire in some way. Now, of course, to learn and uh, these kinds of things are enormously wholesome. But when we think we can actually be in somebody else's body, now this is a problem. When we're meditating in order to abandon ourselves and become someone else in our imagination, I might add, again, we have left ourselves, and that is not meditation. That is, once again, unwise effort. Effort that is not meditative effort is effort that is based on attachment, holding, grasping in some way. The attachment might be the effort to try to make pleasure last. 
it might be the effort to try to make that which is impermanent permanent, impossible. Both are absolutely impossible, despite how much we might try. It's not possible. Now, we, we can make pleasure last for maybe a few moments more, certainly, but then eventually it will turn into pain. Pleasure in and of itself is wonderful. It's not a problem. But if we're trying to make it last, it involves tension. Uh, and once again, there is no relaxation or meditation occurring. Effort that is non-meditative, this effort that is based on attachment, is conditioned by the culture in which we live. Understandably enough, the most human of things. Yeah? Because practice values different things than the culture at large values. Now, the culture at large values success above everything, fame, um, gain, uh, appearance, accumulation. Meditation values freedom, values understanding our inherent radiance of heart. This is the priority system in meditation. The effort that we're used to that is non-meditative is based on what we know. Now, of course, we bring the effort that we know about that we've tried in our life, in our work life, or in our career path, or in our efforts even to feed ourselves or whatever it might be. This is a very different effort than is required in meditation. But of course, we bring it to this, into this environment because this is what we know. This is what we've been taught. The problem is that it really hasn't brought us much ease. Or else, why would we be here? Yeah? <laughs> so there's a really big shift that is taking place. Yeah? In understanding what wise effort really is, effort that bears the fruit of freedom, we have to really undergo quite a big shift in our understanding. And the first step is to notice when our efforts are misdirected and are bringing about tension and difficulty, and then try to aim in a different direction towards a meditative effort. Remembering that some kind of effort is always happening in our life in one way or another, just to sustain ourselves in our life, to take care of our bodies, to wash ourselves every day, to floss every day. All of these things require a huge degree of effort. I mean, just the upkeep on a body, let, a, let alone a mind, requires a huge degree of effort. So effort is always happening. This is a fact in every moment of life. But the question is, what direction is it going in? Because this is what is important. Are our efforts having to do with the effort to avoid difficult feelings, difficult emotions? Yeah. Because if this is the direction that our effort is going in, there will be huge parts of our life that are being left out. Now, maybe, who knows, 90% of our life, perhaps, on certain days, maybe 75% on other days, maybe you know 99% on other days of our life is left out in our um, kind of habit, thinking we can't stand certain feelings. Yeah. So the avoiding of difficult feelings is the direction of our efforts based on fear, being intimidated by the inner environment. So 
one of our questions as well is what is meditative effort? Meditative effort is effort that is informed by wisdom. It is actually really, really simple. And this might be the only important part of this talk. So, one line here. <laughs> it is the effort to be mindful. That is the effort that we're interested in. It's the effort to be present. Over and over again, it's the effort to be aware. And that's it. No more than that. No less than that either, you know, which is a big problem when we want to absorb into experiences. But no more than that. And oftentimes we're overshooting the mark. You know, we're striving. We're caught in pushing ourselves in the wrong direction. And so remembering the relaxation of the effort being simply to be here, simply to be present. You know, not easy. I'm not saying easy, but simply to be present. You know, that is the direction that our effort needs to go in. You could say that the um, untrained mind or the ordinary mind is a mind and we, we might shift between the two, between ordinary mind and meditative mind, so not to label anyone as having an ordinary mind or a meditative mind here. But an ordinary mind or an untrained mind is when we are lost in our experience, when we are caught in obeying every instinct that comes along, when we are absorbed into our experiences. Whereas a meditative mind is a mind that is aware of experiences, allowing ourselves to observe our reactions, to be aware of what is happening, enlarging our capacity to be aware. This is what meditative mind is, meditative effort is. Learning more and more how to relate skillfully, and a question we might ask ourselves is, how am I relating to this? Sometimes when we get caught in trying to figure out what's happening, which is one of our fairly big habits, you know, trying to fix what's happening, getting caught in the what of what's happening, you know, getting caught in the contents of what is happening, the thoughts or the emotions that are occurring, or the why of what's happening, you know, trying to find reasons from the past about why we're feeling what we're feeling in the present moment. When we get wrapped up and caught in this, we forget that the main question in terms of the growth of wisdom leading to um, freedom is, how am I relating to this? And this is a question that we might remember to ask ourselves from time to time, especially when, I'm caught, when we're caught, is how am I relating to this? Am I relating to it by trying to push it away, thinking that's going to work? It doesn't. It only strengthens it. Am I relating to it by trying to hang on to it, by grasping, by um, trying to make it last? It doesn't. It's going to go away anyway. Am I relating to it by identifying with it, thinking it's who I am, defining myself by what it is that's occurring? And if we answer yes to any of those, then what we would want to do is just see if we can know that it's happening, you know, remembering our capacity to be aware in that moment. When we do remember, when we're caught in the what and the why, and we remember the how, how am I relating to this, sometimes it's as if what opens up is just a little crack under the door. 
You know when a door is shut and it's completely, you can't see under it at all because it's sealed shut, and then just a little crack under the door of light emerging. Now sometimes it's like that. Well, when we remember to ask this question, how am I relating to it? Because it can sometimes make a great deal of difference. Because it's along the lines of wisdom. It's a question that goes somewhere, actually, rather than being completely caught up in the usual habits of mind, you know, the what and the why. Not that these questions are unimportant, but they don't usually lead us anywhere. You know, they, they certainly help with some level of understanding, of self-understanding, and so I'm not at all saying that they're not important. But a real way out is this question of how. Is it possible to relate to this by simply being present with it, by relaxing into it instead of resisting it quite so much? Is it possible to relate to it by accepting it, by making more room for it, by even embracing it, yeah. by even embracing the difficult? Yeah. Is it possible to relate to it differently than the ways that we're used to? Meditative effort, as I said, is the effort to be present. It's the effort to turn towards the present moment over and over again whenever we find ourselves elsewhere, not judging and not assessing not measuring how well or how badly we're doing, but just over and over again the willingness to turn towards the present moment instead of diving back into the, whether it's um, wonderful thoughts or terrible thoughts, we tend to dive back in. You know, even, even if they're, they're worry thoughts, we tend to dive back in at times. Yeah. So refraining from diving back in and turning towards the present moment once again, asking ourselves, do we have a clear intention to be aware right now? Using our efforts that we so often use to judge ourselves and to judge our experiences and to judge others, using all of the efforts to do this, which one might have noticed a lot of throughout the day-to-day, -day. judging one's situation, judging oneself, judging one's reactions, um, judging how other people are practicing or not practicing or looking at me or not looking at me or whatever it might be. You know, judging, of course, runs rampant on retreats. So all of that effort that we might use in that direction, can we use that very same effort for awareness instead? It's there. You know, it's good. There's, there's effort happening there. You know, so it's a matter of taking that effort and transmuting it into something that's useful instead of leading to greater contraction of heart. Yeah. So using that very same effort to try to turn around and see if we can be aware. Now, we can be aware of our judging. It's not as if it shouldn't be happening or it's a problem. Well, but if we use it to be aware of our judging, it's quite different than believing and justifying and feeling terrible because judging is occurring. It's quite different. Meditative effort is based on understanding. And it's the understanding of knowing what we can do and what we can't do. In other words, understanding what our responsibility really is in practice 
and what our responsibility really is not because we have no say-so about it whatsoever. What arises is not our responsibility. In the moment of, it, of its arising, it's not our responsibility because it comes out of the past, it's out of our control, and we can't say, don't arise right now. Now, we do a lot say, don't arise right now, but nobody listens. You know? There's, there's, there's no wonderful response of it going away or changing or, you know, it just simply gets stronger as you might have noticed when we say don't arise like this right now. So the arising itself is something that we have to learn how to surrender to because again, in that moment of arising, it's a past accumulation. You know? It's the past arising in the present and then if we can be aware then we can allow the dissolving to take place in the only moment it can happen, which is in the here and now. Our responsibility, though, is to meet the arisings with awareness. Now, that is where wise effort comes in. Nothing happens magically. This is all very lawful. So if we can meet the arisings with awareness, then we're doing the best we can. We're doing the best we can. And then the results are truly out of our control. We can't do anything about how the practice evolves or how it moves for us. This is something that you could say is karma, is grace. It's it's not like we can say, I want an insight right now, or I'd I'd like to have 20 insights right now, actually, not just one. we, We can't demand anything of the world or of ourselves or of this path, or, or of the teachings, or of the Buddha. No, none of this makes any sense at all. It really is out of our control. The results of practice are out of our control. And so what we need to do is to break the connection that can be so tightly bound between the efforts that we put out and the results of those efforts. Now, because if we do, our practice can be easier and without as much struggle. It will be whatever way it is anyway, but it can be a really, really hard path, or it can have a little less struggle to it. So seeing if we can be mindful of the ways that we connect effort and results. And I would say practicing with as much humility and humbleness as we can possibly summon up because when the, um, there is this, this bonding between the efforts that we're putting out and then expecting particular results out of that, there's a tendency to feel a little bit entitled. You know, because I'm trying so hard, I should get. Well, <laughs> one will, but who knows how long. No, no one can predict that. No one can predict anything in terms of time. It's really the earnestness to go in a direction that makes sense to you, you to go in the direction of freedom rather than the direction of contraction and misery and more suffering. It's really the direction that matters more than the expectation of results because we can really torment ourselves a lot you know, with the expectation of results. And every time we're expecting a particular result, we aren't practicing. So it actually slows things down quite a lot. 
You know, it slows the practice, the movement, the development of practice downright a lot. Michael was talking earlier about continuity of mindfulness. When we're caught up in expectations, in plans about how our practice should go and what we should be receiving or getting, we've lost our continuity of mindfulness. And so we're slowing things down. You know? So it's really important to break this connection, to see if we can put out our, our best, you know, really meeting our life with awareness, being as present as we possibly can be, and at the same time, letting go, not being caught in the expectation of results. Meditative effort is actually the effort to connect. It's bringing a newness, a freshness into each moment. Someone called the um, bamboo forest master once said, everything I touch becomes new. When there is this sense of freshness, everything becomes new. Instead of everything seeming like repetition, which is sometimes the way it is on a retreat, where we think, oh my goodness, you know, one more sitting, one more walking, another sitting, another walking, another emotion, another same emotion. You know, it just seems so incredibly repetitive. If we are mindful, nothing is repeated, and we see that it isn't repeated. You know, it's not something just to make us feel good. Actually, nothing is repeated because we are fresh in the here and now. You know, we, re- we are really actually here, not lost in any belief that we can repeat anything from the past. Everything I touch becomes new when we have this kind of beginner's mind. And as well, each moment is seen as important. Sometimes we can think, ah, I haven't been mindful for the last five minutes, the last hour, the last eight hours. You know, it, it's not worth it to be mindful right now. I might as well not be, because I've already you know, kind of blown it. Actually, life is only made up of moments. And we always get a fresh chance in practice. You can't blow it. It's not possible. Things can take longer or shorter, certainly. But you can't blow it. You know, so every moment is, has, holds this possibility of being awake, of being mindful. As St. Francis said in our practice, if the heart wanders or is distracted, bring it back to the point quite gently. If you did nothing during the whole of your hour but bring the heart back, though it went away every time you brought it back, your hour would be very well employed. And if we don't do this, we might be caught in the position of this poor fellow who wrote to Tofu Roshi, who was channeled by a woman named Susan Moon, who wrote, when I meditate, I am very distracted by uncomfortable physical sensations, and I seem to spend the whole time fighting off feelings of hunger, sleepiness, or pain. Please help me to regain true focus, Tofu Roshi. Signed, Bill. Dear Bill, let yourself be one with whatever happens in your body. Learn to notice the precise details of your sensations. A good time to practice this is when you eat. How does the feel of the broccoli in your mouth change as you chew? Become the warm green softness as it oozes around your gums and tongue. Do not make assumptions about how you feel. Do not jump to conclusions. Do not name your sensations good or bad. Wait and observe. Do not say to yourself, I'm hungry, I'm in pain, a scorpion is stinging my left foot. 
Just be one with the sensations, heat, tingling, piercing, burning, swelling of the toes, without changing them into ideas. <laughs> so, don't be like this guy. Working with resistance is part of the practice. It's not other than meditation. It actually has to be taken in as a huge part of our practice. You could say, one could say, that retreats are controlled containers of suffering. <laughs> I don't know if that resonates with you, <laughs> but probably so. <laughs> but you could also say that about our life. You know, retreats are simply unadorned. There's no fanciness, there's no extraness. There's not anything happening other than life, you know, other than we with ourselves. Being able to see what is happening a little bit more clearly because of the lack of the usual responsibilities and distractions in our life. So it's unadorned, you know? So we get to see our predicament more clearly and the good news is, because if it were just that, this would not be a very good place to be, we get to see our predicament more clearly, and as well, we get to see our way out a little bit more clearly as well. Now, to see one's predicament is the very first step in any path of freedom, because if we don't see, we won't want to change anything. We won't even know there is anything to do. We won't even know that there is any such thing as meditation or wise effort or freedom being possible. So to see our predicament, to see the human dilemma, is of absolute essence. And then we can begin to see, or we can begin to apply mindfulness. We notice that our resistance comes in different forms. Sometimes we notice that our resistance is happening because we find ourselves irritated. Nothing really is happening. Now we're just sitting there. Nobody is actually torturing us. But we find ourselves really irritated or cranky. You know, we want to take a nap. We're, we're sitting up straight and we want to take a nap. And we find ourselves a little bit or a lot um, irritated or angry. This is a sign of resistance. We can find ourselves passive. We can find ourselves resigned or giving up. This is a sign of, re of resistance. What is so important is to acknowledge our resistance, you know, and as well to be aware of our reactions to being resistant. Sometimes our reactions to resistance take the form of shame. You know, we're not supposed to be feeling the resistance that we are. We're supposed to be practicing in a different way or having a different experience. And so shame arises. This is a reaction to resistance. Can we simply know that shame is occurring and not get into it, not dwell on it, not embellish it, not believe it? The other reaction that we can commonly have is that of rebelliousness. Okay, I'm out of here. You know, Maybe I'll make it for the next... Um, few days, but then I'm, I'm absolutely never going to practice again. I'm just telling you right now, this is it. You know? Or, you know, we sit while everybody else is walking. We walk while everyone else is sitting. We eat when everybody else is not. You know, whatever it might be, this kind of sense of rebellion that we have to do everything differently. You know, maybe by the sixth day we attain the schedule, but it's a slow road up till then. 
know, and it's just, and there's obviously there's reasons not for some people not to follow the schedule because of health or this or that. But one knows when it's because of health and really good reasons and when it's this kind of rebelliousness that is really only affecting oneself. What is important is not to follow these reactions because they are strengthened whenever we follow them, but simply to form a new relationship to the resistance that we experience when it's in the form of irritation or of anger or of resignation or passivity. And all of us have different forms of resistance, so you can kind of fill in the blank there. Probably what a lot of what you felt today was simply resistance. Now, every time we don't want to be present, we just don't want to be with things as they are, there is resistance occurring. Yeah. And so if we can acknowledge this and be aware of it, this begins to allow us to form a very different relationship to it. We can see the resistance as more natural. And we can take it less personally as being absolutely part of our character you know, to resist everything. It really is part of things because it's part of the path. And it will gradually change if we're willing to be mindful of it in its various forms. There are ways to engage resistance more creatively than sometimes we have found up till now. So I just want to mention a few ways to creatively engage resistance. One of these ways is to remember that we don't have to feel like practicing in order to practice. Now, this is really such a big one, and I'm, I'm, I'm passing this on because it was a hard-earned lesson for me. Um, I remember on a retreat many years ago, I was setting myself to get up very early in the morning and to go to sleep late at night because sometimes this can help with uh, focusing of attention, with concentration, with, um, with samadhi, with strength of mind and heart. And so I was setting myself to do that. But every time I woke up, of course, I was really tired. You know, why wouldn't I be? Because I had gotten very little sleep. So I would wake up, and the first thought I would have is, I don't feel like getting up. Yeah? And it was so liberating to realize that I could just get up. You know, I could not feel like it, and I could get up anyway. Maybe not enthusiastically, not bouncing out of bed, you know, not with enormous cheerfulness. Probably good nobody saw me, and it was a silent retreat. But I didn't have to follow the bidding of my feelings. Yeah? It's really profoundly liberating to not have to follow every feeling that arises, you know, to not be so identified with our feelings, to think that we can't practice just because we don't feel like practicing. You know? We can move into something so rich and so deep by knowing that we can practice even though we don't feel like it. And we can use the forms of sitting and walking through the different ebbs and flows of energy. In any day in our life, energy will come and it will go according to conditions, according to our health, according to our health situation overall. You know, if we're dealing with something really difficult in terms of our health, of course we're not going to have so much energy. If the day happens to be a day in which we're just not all that healthy, we won't have a whole lot of energy. The time of the day matters. Some of us are very perky at very early in the morning, and some of us are enormously irritated early in the morning. 
Some of us are, you know, really wide awake at night, and others of us can't wait to crawl to bed. I used to live with somebody who was unbelievably cheerful in the morning. It was so hard for me, I can't tell you. But we won't get into that. So to really realize that effort can be applied whether there is energy or not. Because it's the effort to be present, and so we can, be, we can apply the effort to be aware that there is no energy. You will find that there's never a way out. You know, there's no excuses on this path because one can always be aware. Even if you don't want to be aware, you can be aware of not wanting to be aware. Yeah? There's always a way to practice. There's always a creative way to practice. When we get caught and stuck, and when we're engaged in unwise effort and in resistance, we forget our options. We forget the enormous creativity that is available to us. Another way to engage resistance is to take each sit and each walk on as an experiment. Because sometimes we have this idea that we have to already have a great deal of faith in order to practice. And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. I mean, everyone here has some just because here we are and we're not at the movies right now. You know, all of us have some degree of faith operating. And it is really easy for it to completely disappear at times. You can have a huge amount of faith in your daily sittings and feel quite good and, and serene about your daily sittings and then come on a retreat and the first day the faith just flies out the window. You know, you think that you never had it at all. But it's just the nature of doing this over and over again, you know, of, of sitting and walking and being in this environment over and over again. Doubt very often opens, enters in. And so to take each sitting on with a beginner's mind as an experiment, not planning, not expecting how things will be, but as an experiment, saying I'm going to just try to be mindful for this sitting, period. Forget about past sittings, forget about the next sitting, forget about sittings to come, certainly forget about, you know, seven days from now. Just this sitting, is it possible for me to apply wise effort just in this sitting, and then be open to whatever the results may be. And the same way with the walking, to take them on as discrete entities, just this sitting, enough, you know, my whole entire life in this sitting, my whole entire life in this walking. And then, you know, to reassess. I would prefer that you reassessed in seven days and not after each sitting or each walking, which brings me to another way to engage resistance, which is the encouragement to be like a tea kettle. And what I mean by this is to practice leaving the kettle on the stove. Suzuki Roshi uh, talks about putting yourself in the oven until you're done, you know, until the bread is baked. But another way is to just leave the kettle on the stove, not to keep picking it up, not to keep checking, is it boiling yet? You know, am I a Buddha yet? Just leave the kettle on the stove and see what happens. Mm. This allows for a continuity of mindfulness as well. What we are very interested in, in terms of this art of wise effort, is learning about balanced effort, learning about what balanced effort is. And oftentimes, we swing to either side just because it's inevitable. This is how we learn in practice, is by swinging to either side at times. 
I had a teacher once who basically his approach to wise effort was sit until you die. Yeah? That was it. That was basically it. Yeah? I mean, he said a lot of other things, but you could really sum it up in that one phrase, or that's what I understood him, him to say anyway, sit until you die. And then uh, another teacher, um, the approach is if you have any little slight discomfort or itch or difficulty or whatever, move right away. Yeah? Personally, I feel that balanced effort is what is necessary, finding a middle path for ourselves. Now, I think sit until we die, well, you know, we may never want to practice again if, if we do that, if we really practice with that approach. And the approach of moving every time there's a little bit of discomfort will always be intimidated by discomfort. You know, we never will find our inner strength and inner capacity to be with the pleasurable as well as the difficulties. Yeah. If we move every single time, you know, so to find, to see if we can find the middle path, to really work with the art of effort. I also had a teacher many years ago. His name was Tara Toku, Tibetan teacher. And I was going through some kind of a, a difficulty at the time when I was practicing with him, this kind of dramatic kind of difficulty and a meditative thing. And I didn't know what to do, and so I thought, of course, you know, because of this teacher, sit till you die, I was really kind of in that lineage at the time. And so I was trying to sit my way through it, just continue with um, this very kind of striving approach and, and hope that that would work. So I went to Taratoko, and I said, um, well, what do you suggest? You know, I, I am trying my best, and yet um, I'm having a great deal of difficulty with this particular phenomena. And what he said to me was, go and have some cookies. <laughs> yeah, go and have some cookies, yeah. And that was his teaching. That was his advice. Of course, I loved it. <laughs> I had no problem, no, no resistance at all to the cookie, uh, the cookie teaching. But, you know, this sense of creativity, of finding the balance within ourselves, rather than taking either a striving approach or a lax approach, a lazy approach, seeing if we can simply, from moment to moment, find the middle way. In a way, what we're aiming for is not being lax and not striving. And another way of putting this is the paradox of be impeccable and take it easy. And you have to say that at, in the same moment, in the same breath, you know? Be impeccable and take it easy. Yeah. Not just be impeccable, not just take it easy, but be impeccable and take it easy, and this will serve us well. What we are practicing is not feeding the fire within, not feeding the difficulties that arise, not feeding the resistance that occurs, not feeding the irritation and the angst and the doubt and the uncertainty and the confusion and the longing and the aversion, and the hatred, and the anger, and the jealousy, and the envy, and the pain, what we are learning to do is to not feed the fire and to let it burn out on its own. And this is the way of practice, to let the inner fires of torment burn out on their own. We feed the fire by dwelling in the angst, by pushing away and thinking that's going to work when it doesn't, and, as I said, by being identified with what's happening 
as who we are. In these moments, we have forgotten to be present. We have forgotten to be mindful. And so inevitably, we are feeding the fire of inner torment. To stop feeding the fire, Ajahn Chah spoke about it as just not feeding um, a cat that comes by. If you don't, then that cat will probably not come to your house any longer. Eventually, the the cat will stop coming to your house. It's the same idea, not feeding the fire. And also to offer a New England proverb, you can't help trouble from coming, but you don't have to give it a chair to sit down on. Not giving it a chair to sit down on is every single time we remember to be mindful. Our efforts going in the direction of mindfulness, of knowing, of awareness, rather than in the direction of our habit of trying to hold on, push away, or identify with. As we all know, or know at least at this point, retreats really are full of a lot of ups and a lot of downs, and maybe in the first few days more downs than ups. But life is as well. It's really not any different than being on retreat other than the conditions. To understand our life, to be free to find our home in the midst of our life, we have to be in contact. We have to be intimate with what is occurring. Being with the breath in the way that we are right now, you know, learning how to simply let go and to be with the breath over and over again, and over and over again, and over and over again, is a training that helps us to be able to sustain our contact with whatever it is that's arising. Now, this is the direction of the practice. We're basically just with the breath right now, and we will be with the breath over the next couple or few days. But eventually, the practice opens up so that we are with whatever it is that arises, with whatever it is that arises, without being intimidated or crushed by or overwhelmed by or sucked into, seduced by. But we don't have a chance of doing this if we haven't trained our minds to some degree. And we train our minds, we are engaged in training our minds by being with the breath. Meditative effort is this effort to connect. It is allowing experiences to come and to go, remembering that happiness does not lie in experiences. It lies in awareness. By enlarging our capacity to be aware, by remembering to be aware, it is how we find a true refuge within. It is how we find this island that can't be overwhelmed by conditions, by floods. It is really how we find our real home. Our essential work in practice is actually not to try to achieve anything whatsoever. It's actually not to try to get anywhere or achieve anything. Instead, it is to rest within who we already are, that which is always and already free. Just to end with something by Suzuki Roshi. Even though the waves arise, the essence of your mind is pure, It is just like clear water with a few waves. Actually, water always has waves. Waves are the practice of the water.
May all beings have ease of mind. May all beings have steadiness of heart. May all beings live in love and in compassion. Let's just sit for a moment or two. Even though waves arise, the essence of your mind is pure. It is just like clear water with a few waves. Actually, water always has waves. Waves are the practice of the water. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.